this uh, tradition of practice, as many and perhaps most of you know, is uh, vipassana, or in the Sanskrit, vipassana, meditation, which is mindfulness meditation, the more uh, secular and widely used term you can <clears throat> this word is everywhere there was a, a weather reporter yesterday on the news that was encouraging people to drive mindfully this morning <laughs> <laughs> which is good on the one hand and also conveys a, a widespread misunderstanding of what Mindfulness really is. Um, this word uh, vipassana translates as insight. Uh, so pointing to the possibility of understanding uh, in a way that's different than we might understand when we first come to meditation practice. Some of the knowledge or Understanding that we behold might simply be confirmed and validated as a, as a meditator doing vipassana or insight. And also if we develop our practice over the years, we come to know that we have certain perceptions or ways of viewing ourselves and others and how the world works that are not true or that are at least skewed in some way. And the way the tradition encourages, encourages us to engage this idea of true or real or not true, not real, or skewed is through our ongoing ability to discern how we cause suffering for ourselves or how our thoughts, actions, behaviors might lend uh, to uh, suffering in our relationships or in our communities. And suffering is a, a common translation of the word dukkha, which is the first noble truth. And it's a decent definition, but uh, we all will have different interpretations of that word suffering. And really, dukkha is... Uh, adequately defined as suffering, and also we could say discontent, disquietude. Uh, many people have a relationship with subtle or gross anxiety, unrest. Uh, I like to include uh, strong longing that leads to grasping or attachment. So this word dukkha is an underlying angst. It is the absence through any variations of experience to be, uh, the, it's the absence of uh, deep contentment or rest or ease in the mind and body. So when there's not the presence of deep rest, ease, contentment in the mind and body, there's some variation of dukkha playing out in our experience. So in a sense, we're, we could say that we're training. I like this word training. We're, we're putting some effort into something, right? I mean, it takes effort to get here, but, you know, 
maybe even more so on a rainy day, right? We could even just look at that. What would keep us? What would keep us home? Would it be comfort? Would it be? Would it be the to-do list? You know, what do we each individually, in our own ways, prioritize over deep psychological freedom? You know, how do we? How do we individually gauge what's appropriate with all the things we're responsibility for in our lives? How much time we're each going to give? Uh, to developing this new way of seeing or under understanding. So we have these patterns or conditioning, and we're, we're actually trying to break them just by getting to the meditation center, just by getting to the chair or the meditation cushion that you use at home. Uh, we're trying to break the conditioning of uh, constantly moving away from the present moment. Constantly uh, doing something that is uh, inwardly referenced via the past or the future. And so we take a simple object like breath or uh, in this practice the walking or the movement of the body and we try to hone our attention. We try to pay attention. One of the most important insights that can come by way of this practice is that of impermanence. The simple fact that all things are changing, that nothing, no matter, and particularly uh, as we look more closely, nothing stays the same. Nothing is static. Another important insight is that Though our life and our mind can be experienced at particular times as complicated, uh, as difficult, basically what's happening is we're experiencing pleasant mind states, unpleasant mind states, pleasant, uh, unpleasant uh, bodily experiences, and pleasant bodily experiences. Sometimes we're experiencing neutral mind states or body states the experience we're having doesn't have these distinctive and polarizing qualities of pleasant and unpleasant. We don't tend to argue uh, these uh, teachings. You know, we say, okay, yeah, things change, I get it. Um, you know, but when the sun is out and it's 82 degrees and there's a sweet breeze and then you know, in July and a heavy rain comes in the afternoon, nonetheless we sort of, it's too bad that had to happen, you know. And so we create something, we create uh, some unpleasant, it actually was not the rain's fault, though that's our narrative, right? Or um, we have a year of clean health and uh, we or someone we care about gets sick or there's an injury and Someone is laid up and they can't do the activities. Uh, and, you know, we're quick to blame, in a sense. Uh, which is really just an inability to integrate uh, these core truths that all human beings will experience, that things are changing, and that much of our life is filled with that which we perceive as unpleasant. 
And so what do we do with this, and how does this not become a pessimistic worldview, but one that leads to an experience of life that is actually quite uplifted, uh, quite uh, opportunistic and positive, and uh, possibly even quite, quite joyful? What we notice in this practice is that, A, we're often resisting change, okay? And B, that when pleasant experiences are arising, when we have the good fortune, we could say, of coming in contact with something that feels good as preferential, a good meal, uh, a lightness in the body, an absence of pain, particularly if we experience chronic pain, a mind that feels very alert and clear, is not caught up in worry and fear and doubt, hearing uh, soothing music, uh, being told things about ourselves that we want to hear about ourselves. When all of this is happening, the mind clings or grasps. The mind simply wants this experience to sustain itself. The mind is in a place of denying impermanence. And there's a kind of suffering that comes from that, simply because change is what we know is real. <clears throat> it's more reliable than the pleasant experience that we're having. That's the insight. And when unpleasant experiences are happening, we're not experiencing the weather that we want or it's too, it's too cold or um, I was upset at the mailman last week I, I travel a lot and I, I always fill out that little yellow card that says hold my mail until this date and then there's a little box and the, I can check a box that says please deliver on the you know the date or I'll come to the post office and pick it up on the date and I always check please deliver on the date uh, when I return. And for seven, I live in Gloucester, and for seven years of traveling, you know, every month or two months, and I kept track, my mail has been delivered on the return date twice. <laughs> so before I even get home from my trips, I'm always a little frustrated at the mailman. <laughs> right? Um, and I can get in, you know, why, do, you know, I fill out the form. I do what you told me, you know, the mail doesn't cut, you know. I can get into that. And there's some legitimacy to doing that. There's a system in place. And the system is not working on behalf of me. And so, and I get very interested, you know, sort of intellectually. Like, I wonder, what, I wonder what's actually going on. Maybe I'll go talk to the people at the post office and let them know that this is not working for me and there's got to be a better way of doing it. The point is I'm suffering from, you know, it's like um, things aren't, working the way I want them to work. <clears throat> so when, when we're having an unpleasant experience, a pain in the body, uh, we're hearing music that we don't like, uh, we order a meal, it's not quite what we thought, uh, there's aversion, there's resistance, there's an inability to meet uh, the present moment experience with total equanimity in the mind, right? Uh, and there's some kind of suffering that comes from that. And the challenge, it's, it's more subtle to see, but the challenge with neutral experiences 
is that we're so wired to be engaged or entertained that the attentional uh, faculty of the mind uh, dissolves even further and we get lost in uh, entertainment thinking. We could be meditating and not be experiencing anything distinctly pleasant or unpleasant. There's a sort of neutral quality. And if we're paying attention, the mind will just create some fantasy and start thinking maybe what we'll do later or you know, maybe I'll book a vacation, that would be nice. And then, you know, the next thing we know it, we're, we're not even in this room, we're not even in this country, we're having a glorious vacation in some spot that, you know, we may never even go to. We start thinking about food or the mind really just needs to latch on to something. It needs to, there's some kind of activity one teacher says that when there's, we're having a neutral experience, we get caught up in deluded distraction. We're deluded by way of thinking that if we think more, we'll actually feel better. Like we, need, uh, we need more substance in a sense. We're a, we're a culture of substance. Which is really interesting because we come to meditation despite our personal narrative and what our respective goals are. But most of us want some quiet, we want some slow, we want some stillness. We might use words like peace. And then we, we do, in fact, uh, benefit from the practice quite quickly by way of having these moments where we're not caught up in the pushing and pulling of grasping and aversion, and yet we immediately fill that space. We, know, we, we, we see that the mind, uh, we see the conditioning. We see that the mind is so inclined to fill that empty space, which would otherwise be liberating. It would be the place where we find what the tradition calls freedom. <clears throat> so in short, we, we, we drop trying to change experience. And I alluded to this in the meditation instruction that right at the beginning, uh, meditation in this practice of insight or mindfulness is not trying to create change by way of managing or manipulating experience through any of the conventional ways that we might do that in other areas of our lives, but is uh, asking us to simply be with things as they are, to simply be with things as they are, and to allow uh, the underlying conditions uh, that promote dukkha to shift or change or dissolve, to allow the grasping and clinging and manipulating and managing and pushing away uh, to eventually fade away. So I hope that's helpful, uh, at least a little bit. I I hope it, uh, and I know that that is not new information for some of you, but I hope it helps to connect in some way the technique of meditation practice and the teachings themselves. So the teachings are helping us understand both how and why to practice. And then the experience, the meditation practice, is helping us uh, make sense of or understand the the teaching. So the the instruction is going in two different ways. The, The meditation is testing the teachings. The teachings are helping us integrate the experience of the meditation practice.